Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Well, welcome back to the podcast. We are going to be picking up in Philippians chapter 1 today, getting into the text of the letter. After last week, we looked at uh, the background of the church in Philippi, where Paul founded it in, um, in the city of Philippi uh, on the second missionary journey, and uh, looked a little bit at just some of the other references to Philippi in the book of Acts to kind of get a feel for the generosity of this church, uh, for the strength of this church. Uh, we'll see some, some issues as we read through the letter, but for the most part, uh, Paul has a really good relationship with the Christians in Philippi including Lydia and her household, the jailer, his household. Uh, Luke was there for a bit, at least. Uh, He seems to have some kind of special connection with Philippi. Um, So um, we're going to jump into the text today. Yeah, so one of the things we want to encourage everyone to look out for as we read through Philippians is the word joy or rejoice or joyful or any variation of those words. Because one of the things Paul is going to do is emphasize that despite his circumstances or their circumstances, there are still reasons to rejoice in Jesus. And so we're going to see that here at the outset of the letter. So we'll pick up here in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 11, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, and I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul, in his letters, uh, he will typically begin by giving thanks to God and kind of telling the church or the Christians that he's writing to about his prayers for them. And it's actually a really cool study to do sometime, to just go through the prayers of Paul and uh, work through the kinds of things that he prays for these Christians because, I'll be honest, it puts my prayers to shame a lot. Uh, We often are probably fairly shallow in the way that we pray. And just a little window into Paul's prayer life is uh, pretty motivating to be like, man, I need to raise my uh, quality of what I'm praying for. It's not to say that our prayers are based on some magical you know, formula that you say the right words, but um, one of the things we're going to see uh, is Paul expressing his love for uh, the Christians there, but also just seeing how he's praying for their spirits. Uh, he's praying for them in a way that uh, is really focused on their spiritual growth, um, and not just you know keep them safe while they travel and make sure they don't get sick kind of a thing. Um, again, nothing wrong with praying for that, 
But that's just something that strikes me as we get into this letter is Paul's love for them and his spiritual, the spiritual focus of his prayer. Yeah, and it is cool because, I mean, if you think about it, if you just skipped 3 through 11 and went straight from verse 2 to verse 12, it would make sense. He gets into what he wants to talk to them about. But Paul does something that I don't think we do enough. We not only hopefully tell people that we are praying for them, but Paul tells people how he is praying for them which is really cool that he'll record that for them. And sometimes he'll even record like the prayer that he's praying in the letter and it'll end with like an amen. And so it's kind of cool to see Paul do that. But here in the outset in verse three, he specifically mentions that he thanks God for every remembrance of them. And again, this is something I don't think about is like, he's basically saying, every time I think of you guys, I say a prayer thanking God for you all, which is really cool. And there's a lot of reasons why Paul would have been thinking about them from what we talked about last week, a lot of Paul's journeys, and a lot of his preaching trips were to, uh, were able to happen because of the Philippians' ability to financially support him doing that. And so I'd imagine with every meal he ate, when he thanked God, there was probably also a, hey, like I'm able to eat a meal because the Lord has provided this through his people that you know sent me support for Macedonia and the Philippi area. Mm-hmm. And so Paul says that to them in verse 3 and in verse 4, um, that he, he's always praying with joy for them in his every prayer because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Something we emphasized last week, but that they've been with him from the very beginning. Yeah. A couple of interesting word things here. One is this is the first mention of joy in verse 4, uh, making my prayer with joy. Joy is going to come up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, at least 13 times in Philippians, uh, joy, rejoice. Uh, but this is the first instance of that, that Paul has joy because he's praying for them. It's also interesting that uh, the letter to Philippi is in part a thank you note for the uh, support that they have sent to him. He's going to go into more detail in that chapter 4. But he hints at it here in verse 5 when he says, I'm making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this word for partnership is just the word uh, for uh, fellowship, uh, the Greek word koinonia. It's a pretty interesting word study if you get a chance to look at that sometime because it has to do with just the basic idea of sharing. But it's kind of a specific spiritual sharing. It's hard for us to have one English word that really encapsulates it. Um, But it's cool that he's talking about because they have helped him financially to do his work as an evangelist, um, that they have this fellowship with him. They share in his work, and they've been sharing in that work from the first day until now, which again, he'll note later in the letter, like even in Thessalonica, they were already helping him on that second missionary journey. It's really cool to see their connection and their fellowship here. In verse uh, 7, or excuse me, in verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, Paul misses this congregation. He wants to be with them. But that's kind of the cool thing, Stephen. I mean, we mentioned last week that this congregation that he's writing to has overseers or elders and deacons in verse 1. Um, those congregations that are kind of self-sufficient and doing well and growing, as much as you want to spend time with them and be with them and be refreshed by them, you also know that they're just fine without you, that they're thriving. And so Paul's saying, as much as I want to be with you, obviously he can't, he's imprisoned, 
and that'll be something we talk more about here in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I also love verse 6, backing up a little bit, where he says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is really grateful for the Christians there, and he has this way of complimenting people that I think is really valuable. That He compliments them, but he really more compliments God in them. You're like, I'm confident, not in you so much as I'm confident that God is at work in you. And because God's working, he's going to bring this work to completion. Mm-hmm. We're all a work in progress. But the thing that encourages us is not just like, oh, I'm going to work hard and do this. You need to work hard. But the main thing is that God's working in us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gives us far more encouragement and, than looking at ourselves. And looking down at verse 9, I think ties with it. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Uh, their work is not done. There is no point at which Paul will say, well, well, you know, you are complete. You are now completely finished. But his prayer is that they will continue to grow in these things and uh, that they will be blameless and pure and ready for the day of Christ when it comes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool that he mentions the day of Christ twice in this section. In verse 6, he'll bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And like you just read, they'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul is not just looking at where these Christians are right now, but he's looking at where they need to be at the end. Mm-hmm. When Jesus returns, that's what he wants. He wants to see that work brought to fruition and for them to finish the race. Um, I mean, Christian life is likened to a race a few times in Scripture, and it's really cool to see everyone lined up at the starting line, um, but not everybody finishes the race. And some people fall away, some people quit, um, some people are injured. But the thing that he's thinking about is the finish line. It's like, when, when we get to the end of this, I want to see you there. And I want to see Jesus bring you to completion mm-hmm. in your character. You're going to be pure and blameless. And that's a beautiful thing to think about, that all of the struggles that we have here will ultimately be perfected when Jesus comes back and restores all things. It's just a a beautiful thing that Paul is thinking about the end and what that's going to mean for the Philippians to be perfected at the end. You know, we have all these character flaws, but God's going to ultimately bring us through all of that uh, at the day of Christ. One other thing I really like about this section in verse 11, he talks about them being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We've already emphasized that all of these things come through Jesus Christ, including the fruit of righteousness. But this is all for the glory and the praise of God. Paul recenters their focus about what their entire purpose on this life is about. And even on the day of Christ, this is all for the glory and the praise of, of Yahweh, of God. And so I think we often, Stephen, and this might be something we get to talk about later in the in the book, we often have a very, like, you know, materialistic view of heaven like the here's all these things i'm going to get in that day of christ or on that day and uh i think in part we get those images because of what we read in the book of revelation and some of the metaphors that are used there but whenever paul talks about the day of christ or he talks about going to be with the lord that's always what he emphasizes is getting to be with jesus and getting getting to glorify god through what he's done the focus is on who is there and who gets to be praised and glorified for all of eternity not so much what we get out of it um and so that's not to say we can't be excited about eternal life and no more pain and no more tears and you know that kind of thing 
but uh, Paul's emphasis here is that all of this is going to happen for the glory and the praise of God. And it's that focus on God's glory that gives him joy. Um, he's going to talk about in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, again, I'll say rejoice. Um, and so that really kind of introduces this next section here. Paul's going to begin this letter um, after his Thanksgiving section. He's now really getting to the, the meat of the letter, if you will. And uh, verses Philippians 1, verse 12, we're going to go down through verse 26 today. Um, there's kind of three different situations that Paul writes to them about. And he's going to help them to see the, the joy that can come out of even really tough or discouraging situations. Because Paul is writing this letter from prison, and as we're about to see, and the Philippians would have been worried for him. I mean, anytime there's someone you know that's been arrested, they're in prison, specifically someone who's innocent, um, and is there, he's suffering for the gospel's sake, they would have like, are you okay, Paul? Are you encouraged? Like, how are you doing? And so here's how he's going to respond. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. This is situation number one. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Well, so... First thing that he points out, kind of a circumstance outside of his control, is that I am in prison. Uh, he's already kind of talked about that. Uh, where was it in his prayer? Um, back there in verse 7, where he talks about being imprisoned or in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. But now here, uh, he kind of brings it up more specifically that, hey, th- I'm in prison and it's because I'm in Christ. You know, that's kind of the circumstances here. But what we're looking for as Paul continues to bring up these hard situations that he can't really do anything about, he finds a way to rejoice. And in this one, he's rejoicing because the whole imperial guard is hearing about his imprisonment and it's giving an opportunity for the gospel. And this is really cool to think about because of what we looked at last week, because we know that the church of Philippi was made up of the Philippian jailer, somebody who Paul had been, uh, who Paul had baptized and with his entire household when Paul and Silas were in prison they'd been singing hymns and um, then there's that earthquake and everyone's about to get out and there was that jailer who said sirs what must I do to be saved and we talked about last week we're not sure exactly how he meant that but we know how Paul took it and he told him what he needed to do to be saved so in the same way Paul in Philippi was reaching out to everybody including these prison guards He's doing the same thing now in this imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's an encouraging thing. He, he is finding a way to rejoice. Look at these opportunities that I would not have likely had if it hadn't been for me to be been arrested and be here. Right. And, and so Paul is looking at a negative situation. I'm stuck in prison. And he could have viewed that so negatively, which, again, I'm sure he wasn't happy to be stuck there. But instead, he sees two positives. One that you just went over, Chase, is that the guards are hearing about Christ. And the second is kind of surprising in verse 14. And that is that some of the brothers are more confident in the Lord because of his imprisonment. And are now preaching the word boldly without fear. Because you might think, well, if Paul was put in prison, that might discourage them and make them more afraid. But seeing Paul's attitude, and hey, man, if Paul can do that and is bold enough to get arrested and keep going, then I need to be more bold here, you know? And I do think that's 
honestly, the effect that reading the book of Acts should have on us. Yeah. When we see the suffering of the early Christians and what they were willing to go through for the gospel, it's like, man, I got to step up. I got to be more bold. And so that's, I think, the exact uh, effect that Paul's example is having on the Christians in Philippi. And, you know, we might not be in prison. Um, we might might be one day, who knows? But I think there are some parallel circumstances that we can make some applications from this. I mean, is there anyone listening that is in a job that they really don't want to be in? Or is there somebody that's living in a city that they really don't want to be at? Or is going to a school they're really not wanting to go to? And you're around people you're not necessarily wanting to be around. Well, sometimes those circumstances are outside of our control. You need to work that job so you can provide for your family. And instead of seeing it as a negative, you can see it as a positive. If I hadn't had this job, here's a group of people I wouldn't have been able to have an impact on or been able to reach out to for the sake of Jesus. And so this perspective that Paul has is one every Christian needs to adopt because it gives us joy in those times where others would look at our situation and say, wow, how, how awful. And uh, I just want to tie in with this, Genesis 50, um, whenever Joseph, near his death, um, his brothers again are, are apologizing yet again for what they had done to him when they betrayed him. And Joseph will say uh, to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And that's the same attitude we're seeing out of Paul. You know, here's these people who've arrested Paul with ill will, bad intent, and yet God is using it for good, and God is really good at doing that. Mm -hmm. Amen. So that really kind of moves us into the next situation um, in verses uh, 15 through 18. Yeah, let's read that. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. You know, it would have been hard to be in prison, um, but I, I feel like this second situation may have been even more discouraging. I think so. Because it's one thing when, you know, the enemies of the gospel are coming after you and you're being thrown in jail. Uh, Paul was beaten on various occasions. He's willing to do that. But it's a different kind of discouragement when people who should be preaching the gospel are the ones being the discouragement. Um, and that's a discouragement I think every Christian deals with at some point. Um, Christianity is under attack from without and sometimes from within. Yep. And we need to be prepared to deal with disappointment from those who wear the name Christian and not be surprised when that happens. So here he talks about two different kinds of preachers. He talks about some who preach Christ from goodwill um, and some out of love, and they know that Paul's in prison for the defense of the gospel. But then there's this other group of people who are preaching Christ from envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and in verse 17, I don't know exactly how they were doing this, but they were thinking to afflict Paul and his imprisonment. And I don't know if it was kind of a spotlight kind of thing yeah. where, all right, now Paul's out of the way and we yeah. get to shine. You know, Paul's gotten all this attention and now we get, you know, more attention. Well, yeah, or is the idea, you know what, Paul's out of the way now. You know, we're going to sit here and teach what we want to do because he's in prison. There's nothing he can do about it anyways. And so it's good to ask the question, you know, what could Paul have done in this situation? 
you know, he's finding out about these guys who are, who are causing trouble. Uh, on one end of things, he could just say, well, woe is me. This is awful. Like, and, and he could blame God. God, why would you let me go to prison? Why would you put me here? And then let all these other guys get out there and preach and teach. And I'm not even out there to do anything about it. But that's not what Paul says. Instead, he finds the joy in it that, that Stephen's emphasizing. Mm-hmm. Well, is, is Christ being preached? Yes, he is. So that's what I will choose to rejoice in. Mm-hmm. Very deliberate on Paul's end to say that he's going to rejoice in that and focus on that. Yes, and that's one thing that we're going to see in all three of these situations is Paul is choosing joy. And he's not ignoring the bad things. He's not just like, okay, everything's fine, guys. Nothing's going wrong. My life is wonderful. No, he talks about being in prison. He talks about people preaching Christ from envy. But he's like, okay, now it's my choice what I choose to focus on because I can't control other people's motives, but I can control my own joy, my own meditation, my own prayer. And so Paul is choosing to focus on the good and fill his mind with that. And that makes a huge difference in the tone of this letter because this could have been a very discouraged, very much of a downer letter from prison. And instead, what we have is something that encourages us 2,000 years later. Uh, It's just amazing to think about that. Yeah. So... Yeah, so this this leads us into the last one, which I think by far is the most dramatic of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll go ahead and read that. Yeah, I'm picking up partway through verse 18. The ESV uh, splits this here. Uh, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul is going to continue to rejoice in verse 18. Verse 19, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, He knows that these brethren are praying for him. And that will be what leads to his salvation, whether it be by death or whether it be by life. And so Paul is excited and joyful that they're praying for him. But it's pretty obvious what's on the table for him here. He brings it up in verse 20 uh, that he wants to honor Christ in his body, whether by life or by death. And that's just the nature of Paul's circumstance. He's in prison and death is on the table for him. Now, whether that be the death penalty because of maybe some things he'd been preaching or teaching, or maybe it'd just be because prison was hard, and you know there's some things that could happen there that, that aren't favorable for him that could result in him losing his life. Uh, Paul can't control that. That's the situation that he is in. And again, he chooses to focus in on the positive result on either outcome. So if he lives... Great. Um, He continues to work with these brethren and work with all these different churches. And if he dies, he gets to go and be with the Lord. 
And so Paul is very much so a win-win kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have been easy to see this the opposite, to say, man, if I'm here, then I'm stuck in prison and life is miserable. And if I die, I'm scared of dying. I don't want to die. And then I can never preach again. And it could have very easily been a lose-lose uh, in Paul's mentality. But instead, he says the famous phrase, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As a complete win-win. And I love his determination in verse 22. If I'm to live on the flesh, in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That's right. And that's just a great way of saying, if I wake up in the morning, it means God has something he wants me to do today. (laughs) There's some kind of fruitful labor that God wants me to be engaged in and focused on. And so every sunrise that I see, I'm going to try to do God's will until he calls me home. That backs up to verse 20, where my translation says he wants Christ to be highly honored in his body, whether by life or by death. Whether I live or whether I die, I want Christ to be honored in my body and in what I do. And so that is a that is a controlling force on somebody, if that is your mindset and that's your mentality. Every day waking up, what can I do to glorify Christ through my body? Mm-hmm. And Paul makes it clear that he's not excited about dying, but he realizes that to depart from this world and to be with Christ is far better <laughs> Like, it's not like, oh, it's kind of a toss-up. Like No, like, it, to be with Christ in glory is so much better than this world of sin that uh, he's like, that's really what I want. But it is interesting to me that he knows that it's more helpful for the Philippian Christians for him to stay. And so he seems in verse 25 to be, you know, pretty confident here when he writes Philippians that he is going to get out of prison. Yeah. He is not going to be put to death. But the point of this section is that even if he was put to death, then he can face even that with joy because of his perspective in Christ. And he ends by saying, you know, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen, which that seems to be historically what happens is that Paul is released from prison um, that we see him in at the end of the book of Acts. He's not executed on that imprisonment and that apparently he's out for a while. And then... um, there's a second imprisonment where he writes Second Timothy. And in Second Timothy, he's saying, no, my, my time has come. I've run the course. I've finished the, the race. I've kept the faith. And I'm, I'm headed on home now. So it is just interesting to see kind of the contrast between Paul's attitude here in Philippians 1 and his attitude in Second Timothy 4. That uh, here in Philippians, he seems like it, it would be fine if I died. But I'm pretty convinced that I'm not going to. Yeah. And so here lies the Christian hope. Uh, the application I hope is obvious for you and I that we when our when we're faced with death or the possibility of death we can put all of our stock and all of our hope in Jesus Christ knowing that we will live again with him and we can rejoice in that that there is great hope and joy and and uh, we want to share that with other people and so I hope everyone has been able to see what what Paul is doing because these same three things that Paul points out he can't change it sounds like the brethren are worried for him about Mm -hmm. they're they're looking at him also going well paul don't you realize that you're in prison there's these awful preachers out there and you could die and paul is writing this going i know that guys but look at the other way look at all the other ways that you can observe this uh, this situation and what paul is really doing is setting them up for success in their own lives because there's going to be circumstances in their own lives that they can't control yeah that really what Paul's going to do is he's going to encourage them to rejoice in Philippians. But as he models his own joy, 
he's going to give them a template for how to rejoice in the Lord. And so he's like, all right, well, here's the hard things I'm going through right now, three of them, but you fill in the blank with your own, you know? What is it that you're going through right now that's discouraging to you, that's hard to you? And where can you rejoice in the Lord, even in the midst of those trials? And how can you focus on him? Because the more we look at ourselves, and the more we look at our trials, the more discouraged we're going to be. But the more that we rejoice in the Lord and what he's doing through Christ, the more joy we can still have. And that's God's will for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll read in some of Paul's other letters. He says, you know, rejoice always, uh, you know, in all circumstances. That is what God wants us to do. But I love that Paul is not just commanding it in Philippians. He's modeling it. Yep. Amen. So, Lord willing, uh, next week we are going to dig into the rest of chapter 1 and get into chapter 2 that will really focus on the humility of God. And it, it's be kind of cool. We'll talk about this next week, how Paul transitions into talking about that and being citizens of heaven. So, Lord willing, we'll pick up there next week. Thank y'all for listening to the podcast today. If you're enjoying what you hear on the pod, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review so we can reach more people. Um, If you're interested in studying the Bible with us, if you have Bible questions, please reach out 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more information on group studies or worship, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.